Hi, I'm R.A. Salvatore, Bob Salvatore. Been writing fantasy books for 25 years now and going strong, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment over at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. And Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. This is where we give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. It's the first episode of Genretainment in 2015. Yay! Now, we took January off, but we are back. And for this episode, we are speaking with New York Times and USA Today best-selling author Rachel Kane and award-winning web series creator veteran Blake Calhoun about their new vampire web series, Morganville, which is based on the best-selling young adult urban fantasy book series, The Morganville Vampires. We discuss the challenges of adapting a book into a web series, the challenges of casting, funny stories on set, tips for authors and web series creators, and much, much more. Now, we want to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality On Demand. It's a song composed and performed by our friend Tishan Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. I also wanted to mention real quick before the interview that I was asked to join the International Academy of Web Television's award committee for this year's IWTV Awards. Yay! Now, it's been a great honor and experience. We're working hard to make this year a special one. So if you're a web series creator, please consider submitting your series for consideration. Uh, you can learn more by going to IAWTVAwards.org. Now, let's get to our interview with filmmaker Blake Calhoun and author Rachel Kane. the show rachel and welcome back blake yeah thanks for having us yeah thank you all right well for our listeners who may not be familiar with the morganville uh setting story world Mm -hmm. either in the book series or the web series can you uh describe the series to them the morganville uh web series is actually based on a series of novels that i wrote starting in 2006 and there are 15 novels in the series it's um been published in 26 languages worldwide i think to date Oh wow. oh, wow. Now, I'm sorry, how many books did you say there are in the series? 15. Wow. I know. It, it, it still boggles my mind. Too. And still going? Uh, actually, Daylighters was the last one, and it came out uh, late last year. Oh, okay. Now, can you tell us a little bit how Morganville vamps differ from, say, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or True Blood? And can you <laughs> confirm whether or not they sparkle in the sunlight? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny any sparklage, but uh, I, I wanted to approach the vampires in Morganville a little bit different. Um, I wanted them to be a little bit old school in that they are they are really self-interested. Everything they do is about them, and if you can serve their plans, excellent. If not, you know, you're probably roadkill. But, uh, and, and I liked, I also liked kind of likening them to the mafia. They run they run Morganville a little bit like the mafia with things. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that makes that sense. Makes sense. Um, um, yeah, let me just say that's sort of a, a I have to say, a, the joke about the twinkling thing is like a personal beef I have because as a human being, I actually have an allergy to the sun, so I can't be out in it, and it really pisses me off when vampires get to go out and bask in the sun and sparkle and be happy. <laughs> 
see what you need is some is some SPF 50 glitter lotion. There, that's what there I go. need. I I do the SPF 100, and it really doesn't do much. <laughs> now, uh, I can confirm there was no sparkling though. Okay, no sparkling on the web series. No we sparkling on the web series. <laughs> At least, yeah, exactly. At least on the in the digital. You variety know. Of the... You know, the, for very practical reasons, because that glitter gets everywhere. It doesn't go away. I've heard there's a behind-the-scenes video with somebody sparkling. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, let me just let me interject real quickly. One thing that I I found interesting about the series, because when I was first approached about this, you know, Twilight and the other True Blood, as you mentioned, these were all on TV, and I was like, what makes this uh, different? And to me, it's it's that it's it doesn't take the romantic kind of twist like Twilight does. That's not even a twist. The, the, the angle that probably most vampire shows take, this is about, mm -hmm. it's, it's like real people in college in an unreal situation or does that make sense? Um, well, and, and like Rachel so said, they're was, more old school vampires. They, they will kill you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also a lot of fun and it's got a lot of dark humor and, um, and so that's where it plays in kind of to the Buffy world a little bit too. And of course we had Amber Benson in the show. so that's Yes. That's a nice nod to the Buffy, the vampire slayer fans. We love Amber. Uh, the, other, the other thing that kind of made it stand out a little bit was that of the four main characters, precisely zero are vampires. Ah, <laughs> these are the trials and tribulations of the humans having to live in the shadow of the, of the vampire world. Exactly. Or and no chosen one vampire slayer, I'm guessing, right? Uh, not, not that I'm sure Shane would like to believe that, but no. <laughs> <laughs> what inspired you to take this from a book series into the web series world, and and how did you two even meet up, actually? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, actually, uh, uh, I had a conversation with early on with Felicia Day, and uh, Felicia was the one who who actually said, you know, you might want to think about doing something as a, as a, uh, as a web series format. And, and we had, um, we've had options on this material before um, that had gone on for quite some time, but they just, you know, it was one of those things that I, I thought this would be super fun to do in a really different format because no one else um, that I was aware of had done any direct adaptation of young adult novels into this kind of, uh, in this kind of format. And Felicia actually introduced me to Blake. And you're both based in Texas, right? Yes. Dallas. Dallas, Texas. Technically on Fort Worth, but close enough. Yeah. And it was interesting because we call her kind of the digital matchmaker for this. And in the end, we went out and got, well, we explored a lot of different ways to, to produce the show from a financial aspect, and we ended up doing a Kickstarter. And once we had a successful Kickstarter, Felicia came back in, in on the on the post side or the distribution side and wanted to team up to release the show too. And they actually also in the end helped co-finance it. So she introduced us, and in the end she helped get the show out to the world too. Oh, good. Oh, that's, that's good. Great. Um, is she a fan of the series? I guess I know she's a, an avid she reader. She hates the books and the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was just being nice. No. Oh, okay. yeah. <sighs> no, I think that's how they met. They met it because the way I mean, ever since I've known Rachel for what last two, three years now, all she does is travel and do all the cons and does book signings around. And so I guess her and Felicia had met at Dragon Con or one of those. I don't even know. 
Well, technically, I'd be also right, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that part. We love Dragon Con. Oh, yeah, Dragon. I, I love Dragon Con too. I think I first met Felicia though at um, I want to say Comic Con, uh, uh, San Diego Comic Con. Ah, that's a big one. That's the big one. <laughs> so when adapting um, a book property into a web series or whatever, any visual medium, you know, there's a lot of challenges there. Yeah. I think one of the first challenges I like to ask you about is is the casting of these characters because people have for years this books these books have been out. People yeah, everybody got, has in their own mind who these characters are, what they look like. Yeah, and... including the author. Yeah. And <laughs> so, especially the author. Yeah, especially the author. And uh, I'm just wondering if you had any particular casting challenges when trying to find actors to embody these characters. I, I, you know, I think the biggest challenge in any book adaptation is precisely what you just said, that people have their own cast in their own mind. And it's going to be really de- difficult to uh, to get a cast that everyone agrees with, even even on a small scale, much less when you let it out into the wider world. Uh, but we actually had, I think, really good fortune all the way around. Uh, I love I love the cast. Mm-hmm. Is there yeah, a- there's a difference between the production side or you know the the producers producing it and then the fans because I think in the end we well I know we are actually really happy with our cast. And for the most part, the fans have been too, but just as you alluded to, there's been a lot of debate on, in particular, the Facebook page for the show with the, the, the book fans saying, we thought they should be this or that. And of course, they all think of Hollywood level. Uh, well, I, <laughs> Why didn't I you get Jennifer say, Lawrence to do that role or something? Well, we all wanted David Tennant and, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, for a variety of things. And that's all fine and well. Um, it's not as much it is a, as a financial one. It's just a reality one, you know. With <laughs> um, those types of people are not accessible at this, you know, for this show, typically speaking. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, was there one particular actor uh, from the get go? As soon as you saw the performance, you're like, wow, that person is that character. I think Amber. I think Amber was the one that we we because she was involved with the Kickstarter. We I thought about her from the get-go. For once, she was already friends with Rachel because she also writes young adult books. Mm-hmm. And I, we thought she'd be perfect for the Amelie character, and she turned out to be just that. Was there anybody that came in and, and auditioned for a character, and you thought, huh, that's different than what I had always envisioned that character, but wow, if that doesn't work. I would say uh, a phonia, Colin Mestel, who... Uh, who who became our Monica? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's just you know she came in I think for a different part and she yeah she did she character. came in for um, one of the mean girls I forget yeah Gina I think and and but she was so convincing she had such presence that I just I I just saw her immediately as Monica okay that's always fun when someone comes in and does something with a character you hadn't really thought of before. <laughs> Yeah, but in the end, they all, I mean, everyone worked together so well, and I think that they gel, and now I see these, I mean, which is cool, I now see these actors as these characters in my head, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and like Bob Picardo, Robert Picardo, who was Oh, great, yes. He, you know, he wore a really, really good wig that we got, we had <laughs> designed, but a lot of people don't recognize him because he's, you know, known for being bald with the, you know, Star Trek and et cetera, being a hologram. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
but the wig looks so good on him, and he just did such a good job. It sort of transformed him into this character, I thought. Yeah, we loved it. As soon as we saw him on screen, we just busted out laughing. We were like, it's Robert <laughs> Ricardo in a wig. <laughs> yeah. And a tie-dye yeah. shirt. I love it. <laughs> that might be the only time we will ever see him in a tie-dye shirt. I <laughs> it was just so cool. <laughs> yeah. And so he and Amber, we cast out of L.A., and then the rest of the cast was cast out of Dallas with, with some really talented um, actors who had differing levels of of um, experience, but they'd all had done a few things. Although Fomia, who she just mentioned, this was Fomia's first show ever to do, and I thought she did a really good job. Oh, wow, yeah. And that would be, be a little bit intimidating to have Robert Picardo and Amber Benson. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. And then Lindsay, who played Claire, was great. And then Ben Easter. He, ben Easter actually wasn't local. I'll take that back. Ben is an L.A. actor who I think is based out of Des Moines, Iowa. Um, anyway, everybody everybody did really well. And it's it's interesting. And, and, and at the beginning, Rachel actually did um, a fan search for a couple of the leads. I can't remember. We did. Was it for Claire? It may have been for Claire. Yeah. And she did a an internet search to let some of her fans audition, and and we got several hundred submissions, and we weed those down to a few, and then at the end they didn't make the final cut, but that was fun too. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is cool. That's that a cool is. idea. So yeah, Robert Picardo uh, and Amber Benson, I thought were really great. They mm-hmm. really transformed themselves, especially Amber, who's like very drastically different kind of character yeah. versus uh, what she was in Buffy. Um, I thought they were both really great. And your old cast I was is great, like, too. But she's so shy and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Not this Amber Not Benson. this one. No. While we're talking about characters and such, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the, the book and web series, however you want to look at it, uh, who, who's your favorite character, each of you, and why in the story? Um, you know, I, I think personally my favorite character, in terms of just being fun to write, is, is probably uh, the, my crazy vampire mad scientist learning <laughs> because he's 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 insane but he's he's also got a good intention most of the time sometimes that means he he thinks for you know for your own good he's going to put your brain in a jar <laughs> that doesn't mean make him a bad person um i i just i think he's a lot of fun to write and and uh, and we had a great little scene with chase jeffrey who was also out of la i believe who who uh just really got across <laughs> the insanity of mernon in a very short period of time <laughs> i i think as any writer the fact that you can describe that character as the crazy mad scientist vampire would just have to make them your favorite <laughs> what about you blake I would probably say, I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite. I, I really, I mean, obviously Rachel created these characters, so it's probably a little different for her. They're like her children, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, but for me, I really like the banter and the relationship between uh, Eve and Shane. I just think that's fun. Um, and it's probably even more in the books than it is in the web series, because obviously in a web series, we did one season of approximately 70 minutes of content and you whittle down an entire novel into that. So you lose a lot. Um, and you know, you get a lot, you get a lot, but you also don't get everything. But point is, is those guys are fun and they have a a great banter about them. And so probably Shane would be, especially from the books, knowing these actors though, when you, once you know the actors and everything, they're all, they all have a, a kind of a, a place 
in your mind or in your heart that you that you enjoy. Yeah, uh-huh. I can imagine. Now you talked about some of the difficulties of adapting a book to a web series, and that is always a challenge to take a book to any sort of visual medium. Now, were there any scenes or story arcs that got lost in the adaptation, either that you know were good and easy to cut or some that were kind of painful and, and you wish you'd been able to put in? You mean from the from the get go? Yeah, from yeah, either uh, either from the get go, from the books to the the script, or from the script and then to the cutting room floor. Yeah, well, I'll let Rachel talk about the scripting because I know there's actual characters that didn't make it out of the first and out of the first book, and of course uh, there was also characters like she mentioned, Mirnan. He doesn't really appear, I believe, it's until book three, but we went ahead and brought him in as a little teaser, and then also the cop. Anna Moses actually comes in later, I believe, but she can speak to that. But yeah, we had to, as it typically goes in the editing, we definitely had to cut some scenes that, you know, you really like and that you don't want to cut. And a couple of them had to do with Shane and near the end of the story. And, and we're going to probably, we are going to release the show on video on demand and also a DVD. And what we're going to have is chock full of extras and deleted scenes and that kind of stuff. And so we're going to do a commentary track as well. Oh, that's um, always I, fun. I think the fans, the, her book fans who become fans of the series will enjoy that. We'll go into some of that there. But as far as the scripting, I'll let Rachel talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, I, I decided to do this a, a, a completely different way because I, I, I spend, it was many years, at least relatively speaking, that I wrote that first book. And uh, even though I had the world really, really down in my head, I thought, well, let me just write down the points that I remember quickly from the first book and then try to um, and then try to just incorporate a, those into a script and then go back and reread the book and see how I did. And it was amazing how, how well that worked because I realized once I'd gotten those important points, everything else I really could leave out in the long run. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting approach. So you, so you just wrote down what you remembered from that book, the high, the high story beats, and then you just wrote it, the first draft, then went back to the book, actually looked through and see what you, what you missed, and realized they weren't necessarily that important. That's, that's cool. I think they weren't critical to the, to the main plot of the story, mm-hmm. and there were, there were some really colorful characters that I, that I, uh, that I left out. There's a, a girl named Cassandra who's actually in most of the series, and she's from book one. But I just didn't feel like she added much to the overall main plot of the story in that book. So out she went. And uh, and also Monica's brother, who's uh, at the beginning of the series, the the main police officer that we meet. Um, I took him out and I replaced him with Hannah, who I think is is just a a more well-rounded character in terms of her her development. Um, Because Richard goes on to do something else and short order. Yeah, it was interesting too. As we were as we were working on the script, I was reading the first book. Um, I I had when we first met, she actually had a screenplay, a movie version of the of the show that she gave me, and then she gave me the books, which I I didn't read in full, but I read over them and did research and that kind of thing. But it was really interesting as I was reading the first book and reading the her adaptation. I would get so freaking confused. So I had to quit <laughs> reading the book. <laughs> yeah, that because can happen. You would say, "Did that happen in the book, or that happened in the in the digital <laughs> series?" And because it's 
while again the general storyline is of course the same and the char- the main characters are the same there's a lot of little subtle differences and you know again you can put a lot more into a several hundred page novel than you can into a 65 70 page script that's broken into six episodes yeah mm-hmm. a lot sure. different well and i know i've i've run into that whenever we would write you know multiple drafts of a script and then I'm I'm remembering lines and things from a, a version that was two or three versions back, or in the original oh, version. Yeah, and then it would be yeah. like, oh no, we're on version five. It's like, well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, no, that's in there. And they're like, no, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Exactly the same problem from novels as well, because uh, you you usually do at least three drafts of a novel, and you can. You can change things so dramatically, or you can change small things like a hair color or an eye color, but then two books later, you completely <laughs> revert to draft one. <laughs> <laughs> like they dyed their hair between books two and three, okay? <laughs> I've been used many times. <laughs> they got contacts, you know? I mean, <laughs> uh. <laughs> it, it could work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and to add a little bit, and to add just a little bit more layer to the confusion, not confusion, but just the, um, you know, going back and forth and figuring out where we were. We, you know, I, I mentioned Geek and Sundry was obviously one of the co-producers and distributor of the series. And so along the way, when we were doing the script and de- developing, then writing the script, and then during production and post, they were involved too. And so you've got myself and Rachel and then... Uh, Felicia Bay and Sherry Bryant and the other Geek and Sundry producer Ryan all involved and so you would forget which version we were talking about and so it's one of those things where it's good to put stuff in writing that we can go back and be oh wait, this, is, this is the way it was yeah so you're usually some funny stories from set no nope, I mean, never it's a very very serious affair funny things can happen in the making of a web series or film um, is there any uh, funny story you'd like to share with us I don't uh, think, I'll let Rachel go first, yeah. I don't think Blake was there for this one, but uh, because he was downstairs actually working, as opposed <laughs> to me, who was upstairs, I don't know, doing what. Uh, but this was uh, in the in the house that doubled for the glass house for us. It's a beautiful old uh, turn-of-the-century Victorian in Dallas. And um, the parts that we use for filming are really beautiful, um, upstairs, there's some parts that are not so great, <laughs> and and one of them was kind of our makeshift production office, uh-huh. and uh, and at some point, uh, I remember that there was a squirrel that ran out of the wall, <laughs> papered around, uh, you know, driving everybody uh, to their feet and scampering over tables and people, and <laughs> yeah, it was, it, and of course, we were filming at the time, so to be really quiet. Instead of screaming as the squirrel was running up your leg, which is fun. <laughs> it might have been a vampire squirrel. Uh, I don't know. Well, I've I've had a squirrel run up me and run on me like a tree for quite some time, yeah. actually. <laughs> and I tell you what, they got really sharp claws. They do. Little little needles. <laughs> they are. They're like little needles going up and down you. <laughs> so kudos to you for being quiet. <laughs> Did you hear that, Blake, when it happened? Where you're like, what's going on upstairs? <laughs> I did not. I heard later, though, because it involved our line producer, Adam Donaghy. Um, <laughs> and I heard I heard about it later, as Rachel said. I mean, the, the house is a two-story house. And so 
We were downstairs, far away from the shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> you could have just, if someone heard it, convinced them that the scratching in the walls was a poltergeist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually like, because I was one of the producers on the show, too, I like when I don't hear about that stuff during the shoot. I'd rather just have them, you know, like, the, the only funny story I can think of, it's not necessarily funny, is we had a couple people, um, a couple of the actors, and crews who will remain nameless um, had for some reason gone up into the attic. I guess they were just hanging out. And so somebody stepped through and their foot went through the ceiling of the house. Oh. And I didn't even know about this until later. Um, and we didn't want to tell, you know, we, we, we did tell the owners of the home what had happened, but we, uh, we fixed it. Well, some of the, uh, the art department guys got up there um, and fixed it prior, and it would have, you know, cost a chunk of money. But it's one of those things when you're on location that, you know, especially uh-huh. because we shot this entire show. Um, it was pretty ambitious. We shot it in just ten days, two oh, two wow. weeks. Oh wow! And we were we were in the house for about six of those days. And yeah, I mean, in the perfect world, we would have had another week for shooting, but just based on budget and logistics, et cetera, we couldn't do it. So we crammed it in, and you know, it turned out great, but. Those kind of, again, those kind of, I've had previous stories where it's like I'd rather not hear about it until afterwards. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I I'm, I'm need to focus on what I'm doing. If something goes wrong, someone else needs to handle it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And on this job, which was really unique, uh, I work with a first AD a lot named Joey Stewart, and he's great. He's been around forever, and he's a really good first AD. But we originally were going to shoot the show a little earlier and our dates got pushed and there was no two ways around it. We had to shoot when we shot. And so he had booked the gig and then he also had booked a vacation. And so before, before we moved the dates. And so he had to leave halfway through the shoot, which if you're a filmmaker and you're used mm. to the first AD, that's a big thing, you know, in the middle of the shoot. But our second AD Kelly stepped up and did a great job. So I had that little bit of stress going on. So I'm glad I didn't hear the other things, you know, like often happen. About the, the crazy, half-crazed squirrel. See, and the, I suspect. The squirrel and the roof caving in and whatever else. I, sus- <laughs> I suspect before they sealed the hoe, a squirrel climbed in, mm-hmm. got stuck, and then it came out. Yeah, that could awesome. be it. It's like that song, <laughs> Mississippi Squirrel Revival. That was hilarious. <laughs> but no, really, and I think Rachel agrees, this is one of her first jobs to work on like this, but... It went extremely smoothly. I mean, to not have crazy stories is, is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Rare. <laughs> yeah, we, I have uh, worked with a lot of these same crew people, so we had a pretty well-oiled machine, and, and I feel like it did. It went well. I'm curious, Rachel, so you wrote the script for this. Uh, have you had, up to this point, much experience writing scripts? Was it a challenge going from one type of format to the other one? A, a li- relatively limited number of scripts. I think I've done two feature film scripts and a couple of one-hour scripts, but I've never done anything in this particular format before. And it, it, it is quite different in that you have to really tell a mini-story that leads into the next episode fairly seamlessly. Mm-hmm. So it, and, and yet still tell the overarching story at the same time. So it, it, the the nature of the story arcs was a little bit different than what I was used to. I, I did enjoy it. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, one of the things that you know I think is is endemic to to prose writers is 
we just have too many words. <laughs> you know, congratulations on getting on Geek and Sundry. I thought that was great. Yeah, you got picked up by the Geek and Sundry channel. I'm curious what future plans are for Morganville. Will there possibly be a second season down the road, or are you going to go a different direction? What's the plan? Are you just waiting to see how the response is? Well, I think that we're, we're kind of waiting. We're, we're waiting a little bit in that it just came out the very end of October. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're letting it roll a little bit and see how it goes. Um, the, the, I think it's been really encouraging, and, and the response has been super good. Uh, it's still stunning to me when we go out and look at the YouTube likes. <laughs> they're they're incredibly high. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And one thing that is interesting from a web series perspective, and I did this once before in a similar fashion for a, for a digital series, the show I did for Warner Brothers back in 2010 called Exposed on the now defunct WBReboot.com. Um, they, I think it's now CWC'd. They've switched over to that. Um, our shows are no longer online. That's a whole other story. But uh, we did a, my point here is we did sort of a quasi-binge release. Mm-hmm. We did one episode a day for a week back in summer of 2010, and that's exactly what we did for this show. And so all my other series that I've done, I think this is my fifth web series, I do the more traditional once a week, almost like traditional TV, but also having new content weekly can help build buzz and et cetera. However, I understand the flip side of that where you, you do all your big marketing push and everything in the, in the initial week that it's out. Um, and so point is, is it feels like the show, you know, you know, we raced to get it finished and, and it was released in that one week and then it's like, Oh, it's over. It's done. But in reality, it's only been out for about five, six weeks. And so, the response has been great, especially from the fans of the book, of the books. Um, really, really great. And I think we're, you know, it's a wait and see thing, but a season two, I think is a no brainer. Um, but where that will be and how that will come to be is, is definitely something we're, you know, considering and talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to ask you about that with your release strategy, because you, with Continuum, Pink and Exposed and now Morganville, you've, experiment a little bit of different types of release strategies and and that's and and that's a common question to get a lot from web series creators who are always curious how they should release i think netflix especially made them rethink that because of the binge viewing on netflix now you've tried both you tried all these variations you know where do you kind of stand on that fence like what what makes sense for let's say they're not on geek and sundry for example let's say they're just a separate independent web series what do you think makes sense for for web series creators? My opinion, and I think I think Netflix is a bad comparison when you're talking about a web series that, for the you know, for most web series, have no celebrities and you know no built-in audience, so it's different. I my pretty firm belief is to release them over time weekly, mm-hmm. and but it's good to have like let's say you have ten episodes in the can. Or, you know, that's that's what you're going to have at the end of your run. It's maybe a, a 12-week run or a 10-week run. I would say have more than one episode online when you first premiere it. So have like two episodes or maybe even three on your channel so people can get a taste of the show. Mm-hmm. And, and also it depends on episode length, and that's another story. Because today people tend to they, – they always say they want longer shows, and that's always a complaint. <laughs> we got, I wish your shows were longer. 
But then in reality, and I'm a web series viewer, I'll go to a show and I'll, see, I'll look down and it's like, oh, this is 20 minutes long. I can't watch this. <laughs> um, I still think the sweet the the sweet spot is between five and fifteen minutes, depending on the show. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I'm still a fan, and I'm not really I'm not talking about Morganville here. I think what we do with Morganville actually worked because we're, you know, we had a name brand book, we had name talent, and we're on a name channel, and we have Felicia Day and, and them helping market it. Mm-hmm. And so, and we, we were part of the Halloween week, but that's sort of a unique situation uh, for my other shows that were completely independent including pink my very first one that actually has is probably my best performing show of all because it was part of the the right place at the right time it was when it was in 2007 when original content was at least higher quality content was new to youtube and so we got a lot of buzz off that but again we did weekly and i feel like that gives you a chance to i mean that's how youtube works that's how your channel gets more um, subscribers, you know, you want a consistent flow of fresh content, mm-hmm. and you also, I also think that helps with tweeting and the Facebooking. And you do it all one week, and people think it's over. It's like a movie, which is fine. But if you have an ongoing show, I think weekly is the way to go. Okay. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And mm-hmm. and you did with Morganville, you did sort of do what you're talking about because you you've premiered of two episodes, didn't you? We, did. we had two episodes out on the first day, and then we did we did one a day for the rest of the week. Yeah, and he built um, again, up. it was part of a big it was part of a big promotion. Mm-hmm. But here's the deal with Morganville: we had we did the Kickstarter where we have 800 plus backers. She has the books that have sold. I don't even know what the number are. It's multiple million around the world, mm-hmm. and so you have a built. I mean, that's like the perfect storm for that. You have all these things that an average web series or even any indie web series usually doesn't have in their back pocket. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Now you talked about crowdfunding. You guys did Kickstarter, well, did you Kickstarter or Indiegogo? I don't actually remember. We did that. Kickstarter. Okay, Kickstarter. And um, how was the experience for the two of you? You know, I don't know if, I don't think you've done one before, Blake, that I remember. Or have you? Did you do a continuum? Uh, I was I was loosely involved with one before, but that was the, the one I did with Rachel was my very first one where I was involved you know, for completely. Mm-hmm. Um, although in the end, again, I go back to the book fans. It was really Rachel and her book fans that made that all happen. I mean, we, I, you know, obviously we work together, but, and she can talk about that. That's, that's a lot of damn work. <laughs> <laughs> they are, you know, people think it's easy money, but no. Yeah, no. Oh yeah. Let's just throw up a Kickstarter and we'll just, we'll tweet it a couple of times. No, there you got to work on that day and night, mm-hmm. day and night. It is, it is hard. It's You're not hard. Eating, it's great. You're not sleeping. Yeah. I enjoyed the experience, but it is truly exhausting. It was a month of my life, um, actually more than a month, because even after you finish the Kickstarter and you're paying such constant attention to it, then you start the fulfillment process. Which can take yeah, us, yeah. you know, ninety percent of your life at least, <laughs> <laughs> depending on what you're offering. And uh, and we had a fairly complicated uh, reward level structure. I've seen worse, but you know, it, it's uh, it, we the most popular thing people wanted were these bunny slippers, <laughs> and that's great until you realize how big they are and how many you have to have and store and ship. Oh, yeah. 
especially worldwide, you know, if, if the, the bunny slipper campaign was, you know, at least three months of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I lost three months of my life to the bunny slipper campaign. <laughs> yeah, but just don't take what we're saying in any way to be negative. It's just kind of facts because people, people don't realize, and, and we didn't, or I know I didn't, um, how, how hard it is and how, how much work you really have to put into it if you want it if you want it to work. Yeah, it's essentially people, a full time job in and of itself. It is. You, it you is. have to do on top I mean, of then if you get that on top of that now you have more work to do because you have a project to make. Right. And it's such a fine line too of you know spamming people versus just like, hey, this is my I'm just asking you know just in case you missed it you know the yeah. here is the link to our Kickstarter. So anyway. Um, I think most of us were not raised to ask and beg for money, so it's kind of hard. Oh, I, I, I still don't see it that way. I mean, I did when I first thought about Kickstarter. I did, but, when, and again, it has to be the right project. Right. I still, well, I, if I you have don't believe in are, it, you're going to have a hard time convincing someone else of it. Well, not only that, it's really, it kind of almost goes to what I was saying about the web series. If you, you can't get on Kickstarter as just an indie filmmaker that has never done a movie Mm -hmm. I've seen too many of these, and I know people, friends of mine have done it, and they try to raise, let's just say, $50,000, and they raise, like, you know, your parents and your family and friends, <laughs> and you get, like, 3000 bucks. Point is, is you got to have a built-in audience like Rachel had. That's how it works. You know, I mean, Felicia or Will Wheaton, you know, raised a million-plus dollars for Tabletop. All these people, and, of course, there's the notoriety factor with some of the bigger Hollywood actors, and that gets into another whole other thing with should they even be using Kickstarter because they have access to money. Yeah. But now the way I look at Kickstarter... Although, you know, I mean, look at Veronica Mars. It it wouldn't have been made even though it was studio and based off a TV show, but it was the huge fan base pushing and pushing and pushing all those years for there to be a movie and then saying, hey, yeah, we'll fund a campaign because we won it so badly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Rachel contributed to that one. I did not because I do have a beef with funding a Warner Brothers show. <laughs> I do have a beef with that. But when it comes to indie stuff, if you have a fan base and you have people you can reach out to, I don't see it as charity. I really don't because they're getting something. It's almost like a pre-sell. Like well, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you're like buying buy your DVD. own ticket, your, your ticket to the show because, you know, you want to see it. Yeah, yeah. So that's the way I look at it now. I mean, there's still different opinions out there. And I think Kickstarter was a huge zeitgeist there. And I think it's it's not – I'm not going to say it's fading, but I, my inbox doesn't get full of Kickstarter emails like it did there most of last year. Everybody I knew was trying to raise money. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like a bubble has to burst for it to kind of settle down to a usable, maintainable level. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a lot of competitors. There's Seed and Spark, which is geared more towards film. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Indiegogo, which has had its own successes. Mm -hmm. um, and they're all good in certain certain ways, for sure. And they can all be challenging, too. Well, Why did you guys decide Kickstarter? Yeah. At the time, it was the one that I was most familiar with. And I know that Blake had worked with it before. And we talked about yeah. it a year ago. I, I like Kickstarter. I, also, I feel like they they still, I personally still think that's the one I would go with, with for any kind of project. I just feel, especially if you can get any kind of traction on their homepage, which we did not, but if you get, I just feel like you'll get more, what's the word I'm looking for, 
Momentum? Yeah, momentum, or because you're on the the big boy version of it, you might, if someone else finds it, that has you might pick up other people, I guess, because there's more people on it. It's sort of like being on Facebook versus being on my, MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bad analogy. <laughs> Yeah, there there are quite a they do have a quite a large community of there you go but, thank you the community there is larger and I think the film I think they do pretty well in the film side of things too although again like I said Sheed and Spark and Indiegogo since then have both done really well yeah and mm-hmm. I'm sorry what were you going to say Rachel about uh, Kickstarter uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was as soon as we started getting out there um, I think about a week out. I started getting support from some of some people who were just they're not they they weren't book fans they didn't know anything about the the show itself but they they liked to invest in in projects based on you know what was what was really going well at Kickstarter and and that was new for me I didn't realize that people actually just kind of went around and said oh that looks interesting I'll throw some money in yeah and we got some fairly good and uh, good contributors that way. I will say one other quick thing about Kickstarter, um, just real real quick. Again, talking about how Rachel had a built-in audience and built-in fans, and we our goal, I I think, yeah, our goal is seventy-five thousand dollars, which is you know it's a lot of money to raise. I think through that type of avenue, it's very little money to make the show like we're trying to make. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's a fine line to walk there, but in the end, it's a, it's really even with all her fans. And then the the various people I brought in, and then, as she said, the the kind of drive-by, so to speak, we barely made it. It was hard. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not, I mean, my point is, a lot of times, even with, you know, there are the the Zach Brass of the world that get, you know, whatever, $3 million in the first day. But then I think even people that have fan bases and stuff, it's a struggle, and it comes down to the wire. And I think we made it with, we ended up going over, which was great. We didn't have stretch goals per se, but I think with one one or two days left, we made it. Yeah, it's challenging. I, I do um, a crowdfunding pick of the day on Twitter. I know it's not actually every day, but when I can, I try to find the best ones or ones that appeal to me. And the majority of them have succeeded, but I found more and more they're really they're eking in near the end usually. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely yeah. definitely challenging. Even ones I think should do really well. Yeah, yeah, that's part of my point. <laughs> now we have a lot of creators who mm-hmm. listen, who are, who are maybe web series creators, filmmakers, book authors, or they want to be. So I always like to try to get at least, although we have some really good tips scattered about in this interview, mm-hmm. give a tip to help them out and just to guide you a little bit because I am really curious. I came off a book recently. It's a nonfiction book. So now I'm really obsessed with finding out how different authors do their books, especially fiction books because I want to write a fiction book. And I get that question all the time from other people who want to do writing. So I'm curious, Rachel, for your book, you've done 15 books in that series. Can you explain, describe a little bit what your method of writing is, how you approach it and keep up that momentum to, to have completed that series? Yeah, I, I, well, it's funny because this series was only one of several series I was doing at the same time <laughs> <laughs> because I'm crazy. She's but a machine. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to be at least a little bit nuts to do this to yourself, you know. <laughs> well, and you have to be a little bit nuts to do it for a living, you know? yeah. <laughs> that mm-hmm. kind of business. But one of the things that I try to do is set is set very strict office hours for myself. So I I found that I work best in the morning, and this is me. Um, I know other people who work best at night or in the middle of the day. I 
do my best and fastest writing from about 5 a.m. to noon. So those are my office hours. You're and one of those morning people. <laughs> not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if it were like the leisurely 10 a.m. start time. But, you know, this actually, uh, you know, I can typically turn a first draft of a book in about four weeks that way. Oh, wow. That's good. How many words is your book? Like 100,000, 100? Uh, it's, it, they range between 90 and uh, 120, maybe 125,000. That's good. That's good. See, I'm, I'm opposite. Like, I can function before 10 o'clock in the morning, and I do on a regular basis throughout my life. <laughs> but I don't do anything that's worth seeing or reading or anything before 10, 1030. <laughs> <10 laughs> No matter how hard I try, no matter how much coffee I may have, it just, my brain just goes, no, minimal is all you get until a certain time. <laughs> and then it's, it'll be like three in the morning and I've got a great, you know, then I, now I'm really energized to go. <laughs> I know at least a half a dozen New York Times authors that are, that are exactly where you are. So, <laughs> And, you know, it probably would make, if I just gave into it, it would make for some pretty good writing, but it, it's hard to have a life. <laughs> it is regardless of when you do it. <laughs> I imagine. For your word counts, do you do outlining in advance or do you, are you more uh, of a free for all? Yeah. A pantser, I guess right by the seat of your pants. Yeah. There's, it's the plotters and the pantsers. <laughs> <laughs> can uh, you be in between though? Can you be like know. a plotting pants? Yes. Uh, you can have plotting pants. I, I, I actually do. Uh, I, I hate doing outlines, but I have to do them mostly because my schedules with my publisher are so fast. I usually turn in a book and six months later it is out. Mm. So they have to be working on uh, cover art and that cover copy and marketing stuff before I ever turn it in. Oh, yeah. So for, and, and I'll quite honestly, most of the time it goes on pre-order before I've turned in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So, no pressure. No pressure. Yeah, you can't be late. <laughs> so, so yeah, she has several other series. Or, I mean, the main one I'm thinking of is Weather Warden, which is how many books are there? Um, there were nine in that series, and there were four in the spinoff series. <laughs> oh man! Oh, wow. Yeah. So. And those yeah, were before. The 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 fun thing the fun thing about it is. I, I like to do outlines, but then I usually forget the outline, and I only refer to it when I get bogged down. Oh. So it's kind of a plotter pantser hybrid. Now, how detailed are the outlines? Are they just a pretty vague? They're about five pages long. They're, oh. There's a high point, I would say. Okay. Is there any other tip you'd like to share with, with a potential author listening? You know, I think the hardest thing about the current environment we're in right now is there are so many options. Mm -hmm. Um it can be a little bit of paralysis because there, on the one hand, it's easier now than ever to get your words out in front of people. Mm -hmm. On the downside, before you had to really, really spend a lot of time honing your craft before you could even get to that point. And now you can kind of put your words out the same day that you write them. And <laughs> It can be a real problem. You know, I always try to tell people that it's it's as much of an it's as much of a, a skill as it is an art, and you have to develop as an as a writer uh, in order to really be able to put something out that you can be proud of long term. 
Yeah. So, you know, my, my biggest thing is patience. <laughs> well, and, and the notion of, you know, you write it down and then wait a day or two, go back and look at it. You know, that would probably be a really good idea for most people, even on social media. If, if you think you want to put something on Facebook, wait 24 hours. <laughs> See if you still if you still like it and then put it up. <laughs> well, it works on emails, too. <laughs> yeah, emails for sure. Well, I mean, rewriting the second and on drafts of a book is, is yeah. a lot like, you know, a web series and post-production, you know, it, that editing is really important to refine yeah. the original vision. And, and then yeah. a second pair of eyes. Cause you know, you know what you mean. <laughs> and make sure everybody's got the same eye colors. <laughs> Blake about web series, you know, is there any kind of tip you like to share with, with web series creators? Other, you, you worked other than don't do it for the love of God, don't do it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, there is some truth to that. Um, <laughs> I would, you know, it's funny what Rachel just said about writing is kind of the same now, and it's not to deter people from trying, but, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I did feature films first. I still do feature films. I do web series. I also do documentaries. I do I do commercials. I always say I do commercials to pay for my film habits. Um, <laughs> but the... Uh, the truth is it's so easy to, to, it's not easy to make something good, but it's easy to make something. And so, and as she was saying, to hone your craft, used to, it would be harder to get something out, but now you can do it, put it online, which is both great and both horrible. Mm-hmm. It's not really a tip. It's just sort of a fact of where we live. And what it does is oversaturate the market. I actually mentioned this about Morganville. While I think our numbers are pretty good, especially for today, you know, with Pink, my first show in 2007, again, a different time and different place on the Internet. That's like 50 years ago, I think. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, <laughs> An Internet years. You know, my, yeah, my first my, my that show got 10 million views on YouTube in just a short amount of time. And the days of getting those kind of numbers, unless you're PewDiePie, you know, those kind of guys, you're, that just doesn't happen anymore. I, and I'm also seeing on YouTube the... Not the end by any stretch, but it's it's a slowing of high quality narrative stuff. That's one reason we were excited about Geek and Sundries. They're still they're still doing narrative on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's hard to make money back on narrative on on YouTube only, and that's why you're seeing a ton of people either that have premium channels diversify and be on Hulu and then do video on demand and et cetera. Because what what's really works on YouTube as far as a financial su- su- sustainability is, uh, you know, the vloggers. Truth be told, the, the Michelle, Fan, uh, how do you say her name, Sam, those kind of people, the the lifestyle, and, and that's all great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ultimately, this is kind of a long rant, but <laughs> I'm seeing narrative. Um, it's a great place to explore and experiment, but I wouldn't recommend making that your your primary place of doing business for narrative stuff I'm speaking of directly. And my tip would be, though, would, would ultimately be to surround yourself. And this is for new and experienced people because you forget. Surround yourself with, with really good people, people that know more than you. Um, and supportive people. Yeah, and supportive people. But as we mentioned earlier with Morganville, most of the principal crew I've, I've worked with on multiple, if not half a dozen shows and and having people around you that are great at, at being an AD or great at DP or great production designers or et cetera. So you don't have to wear every hat. I, I think most indie filmmakers, including myself, feel like 
for you kind of want to you want to be that auteur but you also you feel like you have to because the budgets wear every hat but in reality it can be so freeing and your work will be a lot better if you will relinquish some of those duties to the people that you trust that's great advice yes very much so and it's nice to have that shorthand with somebody you know you you don't explain exactly what you you know you can kind of finish each other's sentences or say, oh, you know, like that one time they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, I know. <laughs> Makes a <laughs> big difference. very true. That's very true. And I, I have that with the DP since Alan Lafave that we worked with on this show. We worked together, was pretty much shot all my, I think he actually has shot all my web series. And he shot one or two of my movies as well. And we have that shorthand and it, and it really, it really helps. But again, having people that really understand their, place on the set or their what their focus is so you don't have to you know because so many times i'm the producer director editor craft service (laughs) and to just be the director on set or just be whatever really 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 makes a big difference for sure (laughs) trust me we know (laughs) is there anything else you guys like to mention is there any other projects you guys are doing that you like to, to mention before we go I'm working on a couple short films, and I've got a couple features, nothing that I want to really go into in too much detail, but I will just, I mentioned it earlier in our chat, we will have information on the Morganville website, which is morganvilletheseries.com, or on the Facebook page about our upcoming video on demand and DVD release, where we'll have the show playing all the episodes back-to-back like a like a movie. It's not quite feature length. It's just under 70 minutes, I think 65 minutes, mm-hmm. but it'll be, it'll be fun to watch it in more of a traditional format on your, on your television and with all the various goodies that you can expect on a DVD. Cool. And Rachel? Um, I have, I have a lot of stuff that's going on, but I, I just turned in a, a new book called Ink and Bone, which will be out in July 2015. I also was fortunate enough to be asked to do an X-Files short story for a collection from IDW, which I I think there are three collections that are coming out, and I think I'm in the second one. It's edited by Christopher Golden. And then I've got another series that I'm starting, and um, I think we have an option running on a feature film right now. So nothing in stone, but, you know, things are happening, I guess. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Rachel, where can your uh, where can people find you and your work online? I'm at rachelkane.com and uh, on Twitter at Rachel Kane. It's uh, not clever, but it's direct. And, <laughs> and uh, on Facebook as well. And um, then you can usually catch me at at least half a dozen conventions around the country. I'm actually going to be doing a, a couple of local. Um, local-ish conventions to Dallas coming up. Uh, uh, one is, I think, uh, in February, and then there's another one in, I want to say, March. And then uh, I'll be off doing the circuit. Oh, one other thing I forgot to mention. Uh, my book, Prince of Shadows, which came out this February, is up for Book of the Year from Romantic Times Magazine, which is great. And it's also recently been chosen for the uh, Spirit of Texas reading list for high school. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's really exciting for me. because It's a Romeo and Juliet book, and I, I feel like uh, it's, it's, a real, it's a real honor to get included in that list. Yeah. It's a really cool book. It's a totally, it's a retelling sort of a Romeo and Juliet from another perspective. Oh, 
Oh, that's right, I'll check that out. Okay, um, Blake, where can people find you online? Usually on Twitter at Blake underscore Calhoun, and other than that, I'm usually doing some sort of comment flame on YouTube. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Twitter, Twitter, and Facebook, and the usual, the usual suspects. I'm around. Do we say what the website link to Morganville is? You know, I don't know that we have. Morganvilleseries.com. Okay, great. Morganvilleseries.com. All right, well, awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for talking to us. Thanks for We really appreciate both of you taking the time to to do this for us. Thank you. It was really fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was fun. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the creator of Blood and Bone China, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, thanks to Rachel and Blake for chatting with us, and we'll have links on the show description so you can check out the Morganville web series and learn more about our guests. And before we go, we want to remind you that you can keep track of us on our Genretainment Facebook page, Marx's Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marx, our website at genretainment.com, or all of the shows at scifipulseradio.com. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until Until next time. time. Bad monkey.